Good morning, Grace Chapel. If you've got children between uh, preschool age and elementary, they get to go. Yeah, sweet. Okay, it's always fun to watch that happen. Um, is everybody doing okay? Glad to be here. Are you? <laughs> All right. Sweet. Anybody else? You're all good. Someone once said that it doesn't matter where you came from. All that matters is where you're going. There's a lot of truth in that. We all come from different family upbringings, right? No ham at Turkey, please. I mean, at Thanksgiving, I said at Turkey. No ham at Thanksgiving, yeah, anyway. Different cultures, different backgrounds, some of us even here today come from different nations and nationalities, and that's all well and good, and I love it. Don't you? I love the diversity that makes up the family of God, but what binds us together today uh, for worship is the truth that God saved us by grace. The truth that God saved us by grace through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sin. On our behalf, we have been shown mercy every one of us. So our only natural, immediate, unified response is worship. So let's pray together before we listen to God in his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this avenue that you've provided us to come to you at any moment of any day, to gather together in worship on, on this Sunday and to lift our, our hearts, our minds to you and to you alone, and then to receive from you what you have for us this morning from your word. We are a privileged, graced people, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's been a lot of injustice this last week. Uh, injustices that were callously carried out over the course of the last seven days, there are injustices all over this globe that you and I hear about, and it just shocks us, hits us in the face. And they are all multiplied by thousands of years of human pride and human sin and further fueled by demonic pride ever since the Garden of Eden. Yet our hope, right, our prayer is that God will one day make it all right. He will make it all right. And we find that kind of cleansing and that kind of just payment in Daniel's visions that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks and we're going to finish today. I hope we're going to finish today. I'll keep my eye on the clock. You don't look at it, all right? I got it covered. Chapter 10. Are you ready? Here we go. Back into the visions. Three years after Daniel gets the vision of chapter 9, which was unbelievable. We looked at that last week. We read that he gets another vision. In back, remember back last week in chapter 9, Daniel had prayed. And he got on his knees and he was repenting and asking God to show his mercy to his children Israel. This time, and he got an answer, this time the visitation and the vision comes after he's been mourning and fasting for three weeks. How many of you have ever done that? Okay, you don't have to put your hand up. Because if you just did it, you probably can't put your hand up. But three full weeks, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? 
And he's fasting and he's praying again over Jerusalem and Israel. And God, when is this all going to happen? When's it going to end? Verse 5, chapter 10. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold and euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl and his face like the appearance of lightning. Oh, my. His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his legs like the gleam of brandished, burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude, like deafening. In our small group this week, um, I asked the question, what was your first inclination when you read this description of this figure, like the very first time you read it, if it wasn't this past week, and some in our group said, Jesus, <laughs> because it's so like the image that John is given of the resurrected Lord in Revelation chapter 1. It's, it's, it's a very similar, but it's not him. My, my radiance, this is Daniel speaking, when I saw this, oh my, my radiance, my radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep and my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. It's really interesting, by the way, that this touch happens three times in chapter 10. It's in, again in verse 16 and verse 18 because the event took so much out of Daniel. It zapped him of any strength he had left. And it tells me God gives us what we need when we need it. Because God's giving strength to Daniel. He gives strength to us to see us through what he has planned for us. Maybe not what we have planned, but what he has planned for us. He gives us all we need. He'll see us through, even in a vision. Verse 12, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day, so that's 21 days ago, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. 21 days ago, three weeks. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So there's, there's this disagreement. There's this fight going on. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Verse 14, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. We are not told exactly why this prince opposed this angel that was sent to give Daniel the message, but it seems really likely to me, maybe to you too, that this prince of Persia, this demonic angel, wanted to pre prevent the delivery of the message a message that you and I have today that he delivered to Daniel. God wanted that done. And we're going to discover that the message contains the announcement of the downfall of the kingdom of Persia over which this particular angel had jurisdiction. Didn't want that to get out. Just a side note, just a side note. Okay, let's back up. Did you get the description of this angelic being? Did you, did you take that in and think, what would that be like? to see. Yet this angel, we are going to find out, 
is not even the strongest of angels in existence in God's created order and required the assistance from another angel, Michael, the archangel, the angel over the nation of Israel, to to get it done. And that's just a snippet of the battle that's going on around us. As Satan tries and strives to destroy God's people, God's messengers apparently hold him, uh, Lucifer, and his hordes back, but it's a very real war, and it's going on right now around us. We see Jude commenting on it in the New Testament, in Jude 9, where he talks about when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, so it's Michael and Lucifer going at it, disputing over the body of Moses. So maybe like Daniel, with this reality back in our face, because I think I, I, I forget this, don't you? When you go through the course of an average day and you're, you're thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch, forget that there's all this going on. Maybe we, like Daniel, should be fasting and praying more than we do. Verse 20, and then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now... I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. I mean, there are more characters in this uh, event that are going on, that's going on. There's all kinds of these these angels over charge of different countries, nations. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these other princes except Michael the archangel, your prince. So God has given jurisdiction over the nations of this planet. And he's given it to members of his heavenly assembly, created beings, angels that he's made, messengers. And some of these delegated authorities have abused their position and rebelled against the very God who put them in that place in the first place. And And the original text, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, I'll I'll read it for you. And verse 8 says, when the Most High, this is God Almighty, when He gave the nations their inheritance, their allotted places on the planet, when He divided all mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, which we have learned over this course of study through Daniel often, most often, refers to the angelic beings, the sons of God. But in Psalm 82, God, in the first few verses of that psalm, denounces these gods, these little g gods, for failing, guess why he denounces them? They, for, they failed to promote justice on the earth. Let me read you the first couple of verses, Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council, in the midst of the gods, little g. He holds judgment. And here's what he has to say to these angelic beings. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And the New Testament makes it clear that these rebellious angels under the authority of Satan himself oppose God's work on planet earth. Ephesians 6, verse 12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And these demon angels fight with the loyal angels who have remained on God's side, and it comes to a head, we will see in the future, as Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 and 8 tells us, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, who we know explicitly is Lucifer himself. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And we read in Revelation, that's around the midpoint of the tribulation period, and then Lucifer goes nuts on earth for three and a half years. Could it be that this battle for Israel that's been planned and carried out for centuries, could it be that the battle for people's souls that is going on around us every day Could it be that the battle to fight for all that is good depends a great deal on prayer? Prayer is one of the things I get from Daniel, one of the big takeaways. That God has chosen, I have no idea why, but in His divine sovereignty, God has chosen to use us in this way, to exhibit His power through weak people, who he has made strong in Jesus Christ and, make, and to exhibit his power through the prayers of his people more than the multitude of his people's anxiety and anger, <laughs> which you see a lot of today. That our repentance, like Daniel last week, and our humility <laughs> before God in prayer and before mankind in practice is more important than the temporal things that we have been led to focus our lives on, that we've been lied to about and strive for and put a lot of grief and worry and energy into. Chapter 11, verse 1. The angel continues. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, so he's talking about himself now. First of all, he's fighting against the prince of Persia. And now he says, as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, so that's the, the Mede who took over Babylon we saw earlier, uh, the king who took over, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Do you know why Darius the Mede was able to defeat Babylon? I was there. I did that. And Daniel, that night, you saw this happen when the writing finger wrote on the wall and then Babylon fell that evening. Well, Daniel, that was me. He's been a busy angel. <laughs> Darius is the one who took Babylon down and the Medes in concert with the Persians were the next empire that Daniel had been given a vision that we've already looked at that's going to come after Babylon and then you're going to have, then you're going to have Greece and then you're going to have Rome. So in spite of all the ongoing angelic wars, God is still having his way because God dictates who rules. He lifts them up and he brings them down. Verse 2, and now I will show you the truth. And the angel goes on to outline now, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in chapter 11 because it's something that if you don't have a couple history books open so you can compare and find out what on earth happened, um, it's, it's really, really hard and complicated, and we don't have that kind of time. But um, the angel goes on to outline, outline, I'm just going to summarize it for you, to outline the near future, what's going to happen. Daniel's not going to see most of this. 
But he said, Daniel, there's, there's going to be coming a Persian king, is what he says. And he's going to launch a campaign against the Greeks. And if you go back into your history books, history points to King Xerxes. He's most likely the king of Persia from the book of Esther. So he would have been Esther's husband, right? King Xerxes. Um, he's also the king who battled the, 300, who battled the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae. Maybe you saw the movie. And in verses 3 and 4, we're reminded that after Persia falls, there's this guy, Alexander the Great. And his, he dies prematurely, and his kingdom is divided up amongst his generals. I think I got a map up there for that. Um, got the map, the next one. We got a map. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, the map of, uh, of, of all those kingdoms. Um, and then the two dynasties, you see the, the, the one in the north, the uh, Seleucids and the Ptolemies in Egypt in the south. So you got Syria and Egypt. And, and, and in chapter 11, he just goes back and forth, back and forth and between these, these two countries. And every one of these prophecies, there's like six battles outlined in chapter 11. Every one of them happened, just like God prophesied in great detail. This ongoing war in the written history bears it all true. Fulfilled prophecy. In, in verse 21, we again meet the character Antiochus IV, who we looked at last week. He's a forerunner, we saw, of the coming Antichrist. He's a lot like him. It was probably Satan's attempt to get this whole thing going, and it fell short because God said so. But he's a forerunner of what's to come. And he gave himself the uh, title Theos Epiphanes, God Revealed. What a guy. His enemies ridiculed him for that by rhyming Epiphanes with Epimenes, which means madman. <laughs> so that's what they would say about him. He had a coin minted. Can you imagine putting this on one side of a coin? King Antiochus, God manifest, bearer of victory. But in chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, again, I got a map to show the war campaigns between these two, these two countries. Do you see, who, see the arrow between the north and the south that's going on here? Who's in the middle between these, these guys going back and forth? Israel. Yeah, exactly, if you know your geography. I know that it's not really uh, accentuated in our, our modern education, but yeah, it's Israel right there in the middle. And Antiochus, as he's going back and forth doing all these campaigns, he robs the temple in Jerusalem, terrorizes the population. He invades Egypt. But the Egyptians, it says in, uh, in verse 28 and, and 29, 30, says that they're saved because ships from Kittim come and save them. And most modern scholars believe that's Rome because Egypt made an alliance with Rome. Who is going to be the next empire according to Daniel's visions that we looked at earlier. So Rome's coming uh, onto the scene, but he's upset when that happens. Antiochus and Rome did not get along well. He's, when he's, he's so upset that he takes out his anger on the way back to Syria, heading north in Jerusalem, and this is where you get the abomination of desolation that Jesus quotes in Matthew 24. He desecrates the temple right there in Jerusalem in front of the Jews by sacrificing a pig on the altar. You know how that probably went over. 
And he committed atrocities that you can read about it in the history books against the people of Israel. When you get to verse 32 of chapter 11, things change a bit. You read about the Maccabean revolt. What's happened? You can read about it. it, it this prophecy happened. It, to today it's celebrated by Hanukkah, by Jews around the world, when the temple was cleansed because of what Antiochus had done, and they, they kicked him out of, out of Dodge, and, and he had to leave. But it's verses 36 to 39 where it picks up the description of a prophecy that did partially get fulfilled with Antiochus, but not fully. He was a bad guy, but he never went to this limit that these verses talk about. So there is a much more monstrous fulfillment yet to come with Antichrist. And I wanted to stop at verses 40 and 45 in chapter 11. Hopefully you've read ahead like you're supposed to, and you did your homework and you read ahead, but in verses 40 and 45 of chapter 11, we're given these Antichrist details that the king of the north, which apparently represents Antichrist, beats back the king of the south. So there's a little opposition to his rule. He invades Palestine. He conquers Egypt. He sets up his tents, it says, between, it's, it, it says tents in maybe your translation. It's actually more like palatious tents. He sets them up between the Mediterranean and Jerusalem before meeting his demise at a battle Revelation chapter 16 calls Armageddon. Is Armageddon going to happen? Yeah, it's not going to happen right today, though. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's got to go down first. These verses don't correspond with any historical events in the final days of Antiochus IV. He didn't even die in Palestine, like these verses say. So most modern scholars look at Daniel chapter 11 and they say, well, those first verses up to verse 40, those were written by Daniel in one, not by Daniel, by somebody else who used Daniel's name in about 165 B.C., not 536 when Daniel was alive, because it's got to be written after the fact because of these actual historical events because they're just too perfect. Well, that's because my God is perfect. Most believers, I trust you, believe in the inerrant, infallible, perfect Word of God. You would disagree with that assessment. And somewhere between verse 36 of chapter 11 and verse 40, there's a change of ruler. It's subtle. From the historical Syrian ruler, Antiochus IV, to the prophetic world ruler, Antichrist. And we get support from this all over Scripture. And I, I've re referenced it before, but let me remind you. First, Jesus. He anticipates and prophesies about a future abomination of desolation in the temple, just like Antiochus is in, in Matthew chapter 24. And Paul for, foresaw the coming of a lawless one who opposes God and his people in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the apostle John who spoke of a coming Antichrist in 1 John 2, 18, and envisioned an end-time world ruler rising up out of the sea. We've seen that before. If you've been following these visions in Daniel, it, the beast comes out of the sea in Daniel and in Revelation chapter 13. 
Daniel chapter 12. Do you realize we just did two chapters? 10, 11, and we're going to hit 12. Here we go. At that time, verse 1, at that time shall arise Michael. So Michael's back. The great prince who has charge of your people. He's been given jurisdiction of that Palestine area and the Jews. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Great tribulation. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15 describes this event that will happen one day. John saw, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And then Hades, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It doesn't matter where you came from. All that matters is where you're going. Whose side are you on? Where are you really headed? You see, this is about eternal destiny not whose opinion you are choosing to follow, not where you're putting your retirement savings, not where you're going to go to school or you did go to school or who you're going to marry or how many kids you're going to have. Those are all important things. Don't get me wrong, but they're not the most important thing. Daniel chapter 11, uh, 12, verse, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, verse 4, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Is that not a sign of the times? Starting in verse 5, Daniel, hears someone else speaking, and say, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And he gets the answer, it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, Daniel says, but I did not understand. I don't understand this ending and the timing. So I asked another question. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Like, okay, I don't, I don't get the timing, but what about, like, what's it going to be like? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. Here in Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, in, in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, in these places and in many, many more places in Scripture, we are counseled 
that no one knows except the Father in heaven. Daniel goes on, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. That's what we do. But the wicked shall act wickedly. The righteous, those of us who are in Christ, must live, will live righteously. The wicked will continue to live wickedly. That's just the way it is until Jesus comes back. And none of the wicked shall understand. Don't expect, I mean, don't be surprised. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. That's, That's three and a half years if you take the Hebrew calendar of 30 days for every month, multiply it by 12, plus, those of you who did quick math there, another 30 days, another month to make 290 days. We know from Revelation very, very clearly that the second half of the tribulation is 1,260 days, three and a half years. From the abomination of desolation and Antichrist betrayal of the covenant of peace he made with Israel at the beginning of the tribulation period until Jesus wipes them all out with a sword out of his mouth while we all watch on horseback. That's Revelation 19. It takes from that midpoint time to the end three and a half years to get there. But there's this mystery 30-day, this extra month period. And then (laughs) Daniel's told, blessed is he who waits and arrives until 1,335 days. That's another 45 days. Like what's going on in this two and a half month period? Why the extra total of days on the end of the seven years of tribulation? We don't know. I have a handout that's available that does some assumptions and some explaining. It's available on the website uh, under that video. You can all read it to your heart's content along with the one on the angels and all the other stuff that's there and it's been added to every week to help you, but we don't know. But it's going to happen. But here's what's more important. We're going to end with But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Daniel, you will be resurrected one day. Daniel, you will be exactly where God destined you to be one day. And that's how the book ends. Hope. That's how time for all of us who are in Christ ends and our eternity is realized. We will, every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will stand in our allotted places that God has already destined and prepared. We will be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We will be uh, in bodies, clothed with bodies imperishable. We will all see as we have never seen before. We will all understand as we have never understood before. Would you stand with me right now? And I'm going to read 
from 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Then I'm going to pray as we prepare together in, by remaining standing to worship this amazing God who has revealed to us what is to come. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Do you see it? That we should be called children of God. What a privilege. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know. This is what. Do we know this? We know this. That when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. What, did, what was Daniel told in chapter 12, verse 8? Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. That's our job. And God does it through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have much to do. Heavenly Father, may we not be found slacking through the day, not communicating with you, not in prayer, not concerned about those who we're talking to and where they're going to spend eternity. May we promote justice to those who are uh, disenfranchised, who do not have the wherewithal to stand on their own two feet. But God, that we could reach and lend a hand, that God, we would, with that hand, speak your truth. That there's more to this life. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done in and through us, through your Holy Spirit, and what you're going to do this afternoon, this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.